So we've come to the place now in Luke chapter 22 where we're going to look into Peter's denial. Don't be too hard on Peter. Uh, the fact is that the scripture, and we don't have time, but one of the things that you could truly love about the Bible, and one of the reasons why we look at the Bible and think, you know, this book, this book really is true. Uh, if you were to write a book and you had a, a group of followers and you were starting a movement, uh, there might be some hesitancy to talk about the shortcomings of those people who are supposed to be prominent within your movement. This happens, of course, politically. You know, we all want to bury the faults of those whom we like uh, and, and emphasize the faults of those whom we don't like. The Bible, um, you'll be very hard-pressed. There are just a few people in all the Bible whose faults aren't front page. Again, we won't go through the list, but I will say this. Uh, in the Old Testament, you've pretty much got Oh, Joseph, they don't say too much bad about Joseph, and Daniel. That's about it. Everybody else, well, you know, you just have to read the account. And if it says much of anything other than a verse, maybe, uh, chances are pretty good you know exactly what the problems are of those folks. The Bible has no difficulty talking about the shortcomings of people, which is good. I don't know about you, but... I have plenty of shortcomings. And if we're only going to have God use perfect people, well, I guess we probably ought to go home now. The fact is, God uses sinners, of which we all are. The challenge is, do we have the ability to face up to our sin? And this is Peter's problem. This is why these events occur. So here's, here's Peter. Now, imagine, just for a moment... It, it, it doesn't help too much, but just for a moment, imagine that Peter had actually stayed awake as Jesus said to him, hey, stay awake that you enter not into temptation. Come and pray with me. Imagine for just a moment that Peter had actually done that. He would have heard Jesus praying this, this really just wrenching prayer about what is coming and how he's wrestling with it and how he doesn't want to drink the cup. And, you know, this is all last week's sermon, but all of that wrestling of Jesus, Peter would have heard that. And then he would have heard Jesus say, not my will, but thine be done. And he would have seen Jesus come to terms with the reality of God's plan. Peter could have gone to Jesus and, and it's like, do we, is this how this has to go? Yeah, this is how this has to go. Now, if you know anything about the topography of the area of Jerusalem, if you've, if you've managed to get over there and actually see the Holy Land, you will know that Jerusalem is built on a hill. And of course, you know, a hill has a valley, right? So there's two hills. We've got the hill that Jerusalem is built on and then we've got the Mount of Olives. Well, the, the, Olive Grove is towards the bottom, but, you know, the, the Mount of Olives slopes up. So Peter is at a place that slopes up. And so here's the eastern gate, which without a doubt they came out of. That's right where the temple complex is, and that's who's coming, are the temple guards and, and the folks who are involved with the temple. They come out of the eastern gate. If Peter had been awake and looking, you know, he could have just looked across the valley and, hey, Jesus, who's that crowd? They're the ones coming to arrest me. 
You don't have to worry. This is all part of the plan of God. Peter could have just kind of watched it all happen. It would have still been tragic. It, it would have still been very distressing. But Peter, had he actually paid attention to what Jesus told him, he could have just seen this all as part of the plan of God. Sorrowful, tragic, hard to watch. But he could have just stood there in the comfort that this is what has to happen. Jesus would have told him this is what has to happen if he'd have just stayed awake long enough. Of course, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. Even though Jesus says to him, as plain as it could possibly be said, not only are you going to deny me, you're not going to deny me just once or twice. You're going to deny me three times. And it's not going to be somewhere way off in the future, 50 years from now, when you just completely forget any of that. No, this is going to happen before the sun comes up. Tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. So you would think by the time they get out of the upper room, make their way across the valley and, and get up there into the garden, when Jesus says to them, pray with me that you enter not into temptation, then Peter would go, you know, that's a good idea. I ought to do that. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't pray. He isn't prepared. The fact of the matter is that when these events occur, he's taken completely by surprise. He is, he is, he panics. He's confused. He's fearful. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Next thing you know, he's like, should, should, is this the moment for the sword? Well, I'm not waiting for an answer. Pulls the sword out, slices the guy's ear off. Why? Well, because he didn't listen to Jesus. Jesus rebukes him, says, put away the sword. You know, we're not, that, that, that's not how this is going. Jesus asks, who did you come to arrest? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. Of course, the first time they fall over backwards. Then he says it again, just to make sure. And therefore, let these go. Everybody else needs to go. You've got an arrest warrant, and the name on the arrest warrant is Jesus of Nazareth, so don't be arresting everybody else. However, they are... Okay with collecting a crew, we can read in Mark, Mark 14, verse 48. Jesus says to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me, but this is what's going to happen. So the scriptures are fulfilled, and they, and they all left and fled from him. And then it says this, but a young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Which, of course, is Mark. This is Mark. How exactly he happened to be in the garden, hard to say. Uh, you know, Jesus, the, this is the Passover week. People are trying to find places to stay. Mark, apparently a disciple of Jesus, may have seen him, and, and he was in the garden, and he follows. But the fact is, they are trying to seize people. They tried to catch him. So, you know, for Peter to decide when Jesus is like, okay, put away the sword. We're not doing this. Uh, okay, if that's not what we're doing, I'm out of here. So, next thing you know, Peter's out dashing around in this olive grove in the pitch black. You know he doesn't have a torch. You're not going to get far if you're carrying a torch. So, he just runs. He just runs. And he runs. Everybody runs. Everybody, you know, just scatter. Does he end up with John? Are they running around out there? We, we don't know. The authorities who tried to grab John Mark uh, and maybe tried to grab somebody else, it became clear that we're going to see what we can do to grab all of them, but they, they just flee. Um, okay, at some point, 
they decide, let them go, let them go. We're only here really to get Jesus. That's all that really matters. So they arrest Jesus, and now they head back. Well, of course, the topography once again comes right in, right? I mean, you're up on a hill, there's a valley, and they're going to go up the other hill. And there's four, five hundred of them. This is a big crew of folk. And they've got torches. So if you're sitting in the garden, you're just going to watch them go down the valley, and they're heading back up somewhere in there. Verse 54, having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. And Peter, somewhere in there, Peter decides to follow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow. So he's following at a distance. Uh, we, we don't know exactly where, but, you know, it's, you can see. And so he knows where they're going. He goes down the valley and up and goes into the eastern gate, right? You know, not necessarily right at their heels, but close enough so that he can kind of follow them and see where they're going. So they take him to the high priest's house. Now, the high priest at this point in Jerusalem's history and Israel's history has now become a political office. Uh, instead of it simply being the eldest son of the descendants of Aaron, it has come to be something else. So it's still the same family, but now it just kind of goes to the highest bidder. And so... There's Annas and there's Caiaphas, and both of them will be referred to as the high priest. But, and this has been this way for a couple of hundred years. Uh, so they want to bring them in, and they, they have gotten the Romans. You'll recall that they have brought a cohort of Roman soldiers. They've arrested him, but now they actually have to come up with charges that are going to stick. Okay, we arrested Jesus. It's obvious that Jesus is capable of getting a bunch of his followers to incite an insurrection, but has he actually incited an insurrection? The answer to that, of course, is no. He hasn't, hasn't even tried to. But, so they've got to come up with some kind of charge that will stick. So the first place they go to is Annas, which is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. This is the older guy. He used to be the high priest. He's not the high priest anymore. Um, Annas is, uh, he's still referred to as the high priest. We, we do this, right? I mean, you still talk about, you know, it doesn't matter. Pick your former president. We still talk about the president as, and it's common to refer to them as the president. President Bush, you know. Pick whatever, whoever, whichever one you want. So they take him to Annas first, who is referred to as the high priest, even though he's not actually in the office that year. It's Caiaphas. So he goes to Annas first, and he is, he, he apparently can't come up, you know, they interview him and they can't come up with anything. So then he sends him to Caiaphas, who's the actual high priest that year. He actually sits there and, and it's probably, they either live, they certainly live in the same complex right next to the temple. And it's into this courtyard that Peter has gotten into. There's a fire kindled in the courtyard and this is where Peter's going to deny that he even knows that that he knows Jesus. It's, it's a tough passage to read. It's, it's tough to watch it happen. The different gospels give different insights, so we're going to refer to them, you know, kind of intertwine them here. So before they, again, before they can bring in a pilot, who is a Roman official, they actually have to have a charge. So Luke 22:55. after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And his servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looked intently at him and said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Women, woman, I do not know him. Now, it's interesting. 
At this juncture, is it really that big a deal as to whether or not he knows Jesus? I mean, does that, is that, do you really have to deny him at this point? I mean, this isn't one of the big burly guards. This isn't someone who's looking to arrest you. Um, this is just a question. Weren't you one of his disciples? I mean, aren't, aren't, you know, this is, this is not a, exactly an accusation. This is just kind of a, aren't you one of his disciples? Uh, uh, her position is the gatekeeper. That's who he is. He's one of, one of his followers. And of course, he denies it. Now, John gives us a little more insight. The Gospel of John, John 18, says this, verse 12. So the Roman cohort... And the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Okay, and then they take him. And then John says this in verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, so was another disciple, which is clearly John. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. John, we don't know how. It could be because of the fishing business. It could be that, you know, the fish that they take out of the Sea of Galilee is great fish. Freshwater fish, by the way. It's not un unbelievable that that fish would have been sold in Jerusalem. And it may very well be that John sold fish to the high priest. There's, there's some kind of connection here that he knows the high priest. And enough that the gatekeeper lets him in. Here's John. She knows who he is. And this is just no doubt about it. But verse 6 of John 18, Peter got left standing outside the door. I mean, everybody kind of goes in. John goes in. Peter and John are probably walking together, or maybe Peter's kind of backing up, like, oh, you're going right in there? I don't know. Should we go right in there? And so he gets separated from John, and John goes in, and next thing you know, John is like, hey, where's Peter? Oh, he's on the other side of the door. So he goes... So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper. That's this girl. And says, he's with me. You know, he's, he's with me. She knows who he is. She knows who he is enough to actually let him in for this event. So John is a clear disciple of Jesus. Anybody's going to know that. And, and so they brought Peter in. And verse 17, the slave girl who kept the door says to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Also, you're not also. Well, who's the other disciple of Jesus? John, who's standing right there. You're not, one, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? Oh, no. No, 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 not me, not me. Now, here's an interesting question. This girl, who's the doorkeeper, her job is to keep the door. I know that's profound, right? But that means that when they went to go arrest Jesus, she didn't go with them. That's not her job. Her job is to keep the door. So when they all march off to go get Jesus, her job is to stay here and keep the door and make sure nobody comes in. So she's not in the garden. She didn't see Peter in the garden. She didn't see John in the garden. She didn't see Jesus in the garden. Where has she seen Peter? Well, this is the Passover week, and Jesus has been up there preaching at the temple. And this may be her job at night to keep an eye on the door. But during the day, she goes and makes her way up to the temple complex, and she's seen Jesus. And, well, who's there with him? Peter, John, you know, the other, all, all 12. 
And so she's looking. She's like, I know who you are. You're with Jesus, right? Just like John is with Jesus. So this is Peter. You have no excuse here. You can just say, yeah, I'm with John. That's all. In fact, it's, we don't know, right? Because we don't know. But if he'd have said, yes, I am, she probably would have said, yeah, I thought so. And that would have been the end of it. I mean, she's not making any big deal about John. She's not calling the guards to come arrest John. She knows exactly who he is. Aren't you one of his disciples? I do not know him, woman. This is a very strong denial. In the Jewish world in the first century, there was actually a formula that if you violated the law big enough, if you, if you made a big enough error, if you say married a Gentile, they would cast you out of the synagogue, and what they would say formally is, we no longer know you. That was, that was the statement that they made as they, you know, you're done, you're out of here. So for Peter to say, I don't know him, that is, that is a very, very strong statement. So after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, back to Luke, and had sat down together, Peter is now sitting among them. Okay, Peter, I mean, trying to get into his head, right? I mean, what do you, what, why, why? Why did you come in here while John dragged you in? Now you're here, so what, what, you're sitting around the fire? What do you, what do you hope? Do you have any kind of, you know, are you thinking maybe that, uh, who knows, human nature being what it is, maybe he's thinking some moment here, I'm going to, you know, I've got this sword hidden here, and the moment will come, I'm going to rescue Jesus, or who in the world knows what he's got going on in his mind, but he's sitting there, and whatever kind of plans he thinks he has, or whatever he thinks is going to happen, uh, none of it is going to happen. This is not going to go like he thinks it's going to go. He is, if he has any illusions of grandeur here, that somehow he's going to rescue Jesus, that... That is not going to happen. Uh, so a little later, uh, in fact, Matthew and Mark both note that when someone recognizes him, he kind of moves away from the fire. But a little later, verse 38, 38, 58, sorry, a little later, another saw him and said, you're one of them too. So he's moved away from the fire. You know, the girl has said something. He's now moved away from the fire. He's trying to blend... <laughs> Just, just let me get into the woodwork here. Um, and again, you're one of them. He says, man, I am not. So these two events occur kind of close together. So, so she, she accuses him as he comes through the gate. And then he goes and sits by the fire. Someone else says it's him. Uh, Luke says that the girl is, you know, she concurs with that. She's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I thought the same thing. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And then we come to verse 59. After about an hour had passed. This is really, this is crucial, right? An hour has passed. Now, if you're lying awake at night, wondering about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, if those kinds of issues capture your mind and you're thinking, you know, 
Are we all just puppets on a string? Are we all just players on the stage? And God has already written all the lines, and we don't really have any choice. And, and you know, if God actually told us what was coming, you know, we, we could change things. We'd be different. Uh, you think so? You think so? You think if God actually told you what your future was, you could, you could somehow change that? You could somehow thwart what God said? The fact of the matter is that, that Peter, okay, maybe the first denial when he's coming through the gate, I mean, he's just not really expecting it. He's, he's kind of standing outside the gate, deciding what to do. Next thing you know, John comes. John talks to the gatekeeper. Uh, okay, I'm safe here. I'm, I'm you know, coming through the gate. And then she goes, I know who you are. You're one of his. And you, oh, 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 you know, he's surprised, right? No, 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 no. Then he gets over by the fire, and, and someone else says, I know you're one of him. And the, and the girl again says, yeah, I, I, you know, I recognize him too. And no, 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 that's not me. But now an hour has gone by. You're not all kind of worked up about all that stuff that went on in the garden anymore. You've had plenty of time to calm down. And by the way, it's a cold night. It's cold enough to lit a fire. You've had lots of time to reflect, to think about what has occurred here. This is no longer the heat of the moment. This moment has no heat. This is a nice, cool, calm, collected moment. You have time to reflect, to think about what has happened here. Does it not occur to you that Jesus said you would deny him three times before the cock crew crowed and you've already done it twice without even thinking about it? Um, apparently not. Despite the fact that Jesus has just had this conversation with him not two hours ago. When the moment actually comes, pew, just, it's, like it, it's like he never had that conversation. He just stands there and, and says he doesn't even know Jesus. It's a terrible comparison to make, but it needs to be made. Much like Judas, who Jesus said to him, yes, I will be betrayed, but woe to the one who betrays me. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. Didn't matter. Judas betrayed him anyway. And here's Peter. I mean, If ever you were to think we were puppets on a string, you'd think that if you cut the strings, you know, if you're kind of like, okay, Peter, this is what you're going to do. And Peter's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. You'd think, okay, surely someone, if, if ever the moment was going to come that, that someone was going to thwart the will of God, this would be Peter right here. And he'd finally remember. And, but the fact is, Peter just does what Peter does. There's no, he, he's not being, God's not twisting his arm. God's not pulling the strings. God's not making him do this. In fact, Jesus has told him, don't do this. But Peter's going to do it anyway. It doesn't really matter. God is sovereign, and in the sovereign plan of God, Peter's going to do this, but it's Peter. It's Peter that's going to do it. God doesn't make him do it. Peter chooses to do it. Peter's been warned not to do it. It, it doesn't matter. Peter's not missing his free will here. Peter does this because this is what Peter wants to do. So the man says, certainly this man was with him, for he is a Galilean too. Remember when Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times? You know what Peter says to him? Lord, 
with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. I'm with you. And so the man says, are you with him? Peter says, I am not with him. Nope. I don't even know what you're talking about. Not me. I'm not with him. Peter, 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 Peter. Verse 61, man, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It, but it's so obvious. You're a Galilean, either through the clothes he's wearing or his speech, which would have been a rural accent. Um, John adds in John 18, 26, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you with him in the garden? And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The night has gone by. And now the sun is coming up. The dawn is breaking. While Peter is still speaking, a rooster crows. And then this verse, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter was so certain he would not be a coward. Not him. I'm Peter, don't you know? All others may forsake you. All others may flee you. But not me. Let me tell you, I'm something. I'm different. I'm better than all the others. My self-esteem is as high as it could get. Yes, sirree, I think pretty highly of myself. I'll be faithful, though all others are unfaithful. Peter has a pride problem. Peter thinks a lot of Peter. Peter thinks that he's better than everyone else. And that of his own internal strength, he will do what all the others won't. He can't. And he doesn't. And one look from the Lord. And it all, it all comes back. Oh, no. Even in the midst of his own trials, Jesus has not forgotten his disciples. He, he knows. Remember, he told Peter, I pray for you. Satan desires to sift you like weed. But I prayed for you. And here's the moment. Peter, you just got sifted. And you didn't do so well. But Jesus has not forgotten him. Jesus is well aware and just turns and looks. It doesn't even say he looked condemning. He just looks at him. And Peter remembers. And he went out and wept bitterly. Why? Well, he just betrayed Jesus. He's completely humiliated. But it's not just that. It's, this is the death of Peter's pride. 
the death of Peter's arrogance. This is a really powerful, painful lesson. I mean, he's about as wretched as you can get. You'd think it couldn't get worse. It's going to. Jesus is going to die, remember? He's going to get to watch that, too. But with this one look from Jesus, Peter is confronted with who he truly is. And it's an ugly picture. He's forced to see that his own self-confidence, his his magnificent self-esteem, and his self-assurance that he's better than all the others is just dung. That's all it is. When the disciples get together and get into that big discussion about who's the greatest among them and who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven, yeah, Peter's not going to be able to get into that discussion so much anymore. Come to find out he can't really claim to be the greatest anymore. I mean, after all, he just denied three times that he even knew Jesus. I mean, it's going to be like if he gets in the kingdom at all. He's not going to be able to compare himself to others and to show how he's so much greater than all of those are. He's not Peter the Magnificent anymore. He's Peter the Pathetic. Now, you know, you might think this is terrible. You might think this is just awful. You might think this is the worst moment of Peter's life. The fact of the matter is, this is the moment that Peter needs to come to. This is the moment we all need to come to. This is the moment every single one of us needs to awaken to, is that, you know what? Left to ourselves, we can do nothing for the kingdom of God. It is not in our strength. It is only in God's strength. We need to kill our old man who's full of pride and self-confidence and high self-esteem and just thinks so much of himself. We need to realize that when it comes to serve in the kingdom of God, that guy needs to die. We need to crucify ourselves daily. It is when we trust in the power of God and God's power working through us that we finally get things done. This is when we see Peter go from the guy who is terrified of the Sanhedrin, terrified of what they're going to do, terrified of what they did to Jesus. Jesus is going to come back. And we'll get there. We'll work on our way through the gospel. But we all know the story. Jesus is going to come back and talk to Peter. And Peter is going to be restored. He's going to find out what forgiveness really is. He really needs to be forgiven for what he's done. And he will be. And there will be full restitution. And when the next opportunity comes, when he stands before the Sanhedrin, and they say to them, you preach in this guy's name, we're going to imprison you and beat you. He's like... Yeah, well, okay, whatever you got to do. You tell me whether we should obey you or God, because it's God who's told us to preach. Where did that guy come from? Right here. That's where that guy came from. Right here. The guy who is all fearful, the guy who's all panicky, the guy who's all worried about himself and, and who's all concerned, that guy died right here. And he needed to. He needed to. Now he's full of weakness. Okay. He's full of a sense of inadequacy. Yep, he should be. 
Here is where the power of God comes in. Once we understand the plan of God, once we understand that it is not our righteousness, it's not our goodness, it's not what wonderful people we are, it's when we acknowledge we are wretched sinners, proud to the core of our being, that God finally does something with us. Because we're willing to acknowledge it's all of God. And that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus, you know what? You can walk on water. Just ask Peter. Because when he took his eyes away from Jesus, he started falling into the water. When we trust God, when we learn this lesson, it's not me. It's God. It's all of God. He empowers us. Paul writes about this so wonderfully and lays it out so clearly. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. He gets his thorn in the flesh and he prays God three times to take it away. And here's what God says to him. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the place Peter had to come to. This is the place we all need to come to. And if you're thinking that that's a not too tough place to get, you might want to reread the passage with Peter. God has to push our face in the mud before we finally get rid of this pride and arrogance and confidence in ourselves. If you really want to get something done for the kingdom of God, what did did Jesus say? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Why was John the Baptist the greatest prophet ever? Because his ministry wasn't about John the Baptist. His entire ministry was to promote the ministry of Jesus. John was second his whole life. John the Baptist's whole ministry was to announce someone else. He must increase. I must decrease. Want to grow in your Christian life? Want to see God actually do something in your life? Want Want to see the power of God in your life? Admit, you've got no power on your own. And anything you try to do on your own is just not going to go well. And that it's all the power of God. It's the power of his word. It's the power of his spirit. It's God at work in us. This is a tough passage to watch. It's tough to watch Peter go through this. It's tough to watch Peter deny that he even knows Jesus. But this is the moment that terrified Peter becomes triumphant, Peter. Let's pray. Lord, we read your word. We see the things that occurred there and they ring true to us. To see bold, brash Peter deny to a little girl that he even knows you. It's so consistent with who, if we look in our hearts, each one of us are capable of. Yeah, Lord, you love us anyway. It is for that very person that you willingly gave up your life. You knew who Peter was. 
And yet you went to the cross and paid for all his sin as you paid for all of ours. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. You forgive us. You know exactly who we are. You know that we need your spirit. And you graciously and abundantly give it. Lord, may each one of us look in the mirror, figure out who we really are, and die to ourselves so that we can live for you. When the road gets dark and the trial seems so hard, may we see you at work right in the very midst of all of that. Help us to love you and serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.